Just curious, how many of you have uh, been in, involved in or gone to an escape room? You've gone to an escape room. How many of you were successful at escaping the escape room? Wow, all right. Very good. I've never been, so if I go, I'm going to talk to you all first, get some, uh, get some hint. Maybe I'll take you with me. Say, help me out. I, I need to get out of the escape room. Sometimes we look at life kind of like an escape room. And for those of you who aren't familiar uh, with that, an escape room, this is a, a, a description from one of the websites of an escape room. It says, you're given a mission placed into a themed room where you must explore to find hints and clues. You may find a container that needs a passcode to open or a lock that needs a key. If you search hard enough, you can figure out passcodes, open all the locks, find hidden items, and ultimately free yourself. Sometimes we look at life that way. We think, you know, we, we've been put in this game of life, and if we just search hard enough, and, and if we just, you know, look in enough corners and try to, you know, figure this out and think through, we can make it to the other end successful, successfully. And sometimes we even think, you know, well, if we collaborate with other people, then that'll help us to get through life. Well, the Bible gives a really big contrast to that and helps us to see uh, that really we have a shepherd, a good shepherd to lead us through life. In fact, he has gone before us in every way. Uh, so if you want to put it in the, the context of an escape room, he knows every passcode, he knows every hidden key, he knows exactly how we should uh, get to the other side successfully if we were to follow him as our good shepherd. Last week we looked at some of the characteristics of the good shepherd, so we won't spend much time on that, but just for review, he's a relational shepherd. He's an intentional shepherd leading in and out. He's a sacrificial shepherd. He said, I give my life uh, for my sheep. Uh, remembering that he did give his life. Nobody took it from him. He has the authority to give it, to take it up again. He's a courageous shepherd. He doesn't run from danger. He, doesn't, uh, he, he protects us. He's not someone that's just hired and runs from a lion or a bear, but he, uh, spiritually speaking, uh, he is ready to protect us. 1 Peter 5, 8 says that, that the devil is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Jesus is greater, the greater I, the great I am. He's a courageous shepherd, a reconciling shepherd. We saw last week that he said there's sheep that are not of this fold. The fold primarily seems to indicate those of, of Israel, the Jews, uh, but he says there's sheep who are not of this fold. That would be most likely all of us who aren't Jews, uh, that as a reconciling shepherd, he saw it, and even Ephesians 2, he said uh, that he is our peace and brought the, both Jews and Gentiles who were in enmity, couldn't stand each other, would avoid each other, uh, in Christ were reconciled. And we can see that truth happen in modern day, 2023, that it doesn't matter your social status, if you grew up poor or if you still are poor and someone else is rich in Christ, you're equal at the foot of the cross. doesn't matter what language is your heart language. Uh, in Christ, he can unify that and reconcile us in him. The cultures that are different, that those can become strengthening points instead of divisive points because of the gospel. Christ is a reconciling shepherd. Now let's look more cl closely this morning. What are the contrasting pastures of the false shepherds, plural, and there's many, and then the good pastures of the good shepherds. First of all, let's look at the pastures of the false shepherd. John 10 and verse 10 
Jesus made it very clear. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. They may have it abundantly. This is not primarily speaking of the amount of money in your checking account uh, or, or, you know, back in that day, how many uh, horses or donkeys you had or chariots. This is an abundant life in all respects of the word. So let's look at the contrast of that. Those who come to steal, kill, and destroy, the leaders themselves espouse and live and model destructive motives. We see this in Luke chapter 16, verse 14. We see greed, Luke 16, 14. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. I'll never forget one of the, uh, the first times that I spoke with Larry. I've, I've mentioned this before, but it, it just brings, comes back to mind as I talk with Larry at New Horizons Computer Learning Center. I was in an interview, and he was uh, trying to find those uh, new salespeople to sell computer classes and certifications and he looked at me and says, David, are you motivated by money? I'm like, oh, I mean, I, yeah, money pays bills. I mean, so I was like, sure. But not too long after that, I had to go back to Larry, and, and God had, had given me that chapter of my life to help pay off some school bills and get ready to raise funds for, to go to Brazil as a missionary. And I had to come back to Larry and say, Larry, I need to resign. I need to put in my notice. We're going to head to Brazil. And he said, What? You don't even have a nest egg saved up yet. You're recently married. You know, you could just work here a little bit longer and make some more money. Motivated by greed. Hypocrisy and abuse of power. We see in Mark 12 and verse 38. And in his teaching, he said, Beware the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. Hypocrisy and abusive power. That's part of the motivations of the false shepherds, that we can easily, easily be duped and deceived into uh, falling into that and choosing uh, these types of destructive motives. Thirdly, selfishness. John eleven forty five. Uh, through 50, we're just going to look at verse 48, though, in John 11. It says, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And they're talking about Christ. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So the religious elite, many of them weren't necessarily uh, very interested in determining what is truth and who is truth here. Many of them were more concerned of, man, if Jesus keeps going... Then the Romans are going to notice this. There's going to be division, you know, and it's going to kind of mess up our economy. It's going to mess up the status that we have. It'll mess up the favor that we have right now with, with the Romans. So this guy needs to go away. We need to, to, to do away with Jesus. Purely selfish. Now, these are some of the motives. Now, but how does it manifest? As we fast forward to 2023, how does this manifest? I'm going to look at, we're going to look at several this morning, but there's many, many more possibilities. But a couple of big ones. Let's look at this. First of all, intellect. Intellect. So we see a contrast. Jesus is saying, you know, I'm the bread of life. We already looked at that. I am the door. I'm the good shepherd. I've gone before you. I want to lead you in. So protection in the fold and out to pasture, provision. I'm going to lead you in and out. I'm the good shepherd. But many of us, and some maybe still in the room this morning, 
the, the, the common phrase is the grass is greener on the other side. So we, we hear this offer from Christ, but yet we see a lot of other pastures that seem very appealing. One of those is intellect. Boy, I just need to learn more. I just have to, to get more certifications. I just need to get that, that next degree. Now, next Sunday is you day. Last Sunday was back to school Sunday. We are in a school building. I went to school. I, I, I did college. I have a you know, master's degree. And th- so those things aren't sinful. But yet if we put our hope in education as something that is going to make us successful or something that's going to give us true satisfaction, we're very deceived. Romans chapter 1 verses 18 through 23. Look with me as we read verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse." For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile, how? In their thinking. A search for internet or, or, or intellect, a search for, you know, we need to figure this out on our own. And how, how is the world, how does it work? They became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. In 2020 to 2021, uh, post-secondary education or institutions in the United States conferred 1.1 million graduate degrees. This was almost a 20% increase from 10 years before. 866,000 and some change were master's degrees. Almost 200,000 of those were doctor's degrees. This was 2020 to 2021. So I ask you, with 20% more you know, post-grad degrees, master's and doctorates in the United States of America, has this solved some of the greatest problems that our nation face every day? Yes or no? We're worse off. So education alone is not going to be the solution to the problems we face. It's not going to unify our nation more. It's not going to help us to understand life as God designed it more. So education intellect is not the answer. But yet, oftentimes that looks like, man, that's a, that's a really green pasture. Let me try to find satisfaction in that. Some of the most educated, quote, Individuals in our society are grappling with some of the most basic things that God has made clear in Scripture. What is a man? What is a woman? When does life begin? And, and, but yet, in all of their education and all of the degrees and titles, they are so confused and they have confused themselves because they don't want to look at God. They're looking at their own selves for the answers and how do I get through life and navigate it? Intellects can be a path to another pasture. What about beauty? Thousands and thousands of dollars and, and many more hours are spent on improving our, our own beauty. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with wanting to look nice. I mean, I looked in the mirror this morning. You, did you, Pastor? Yes, I did. I looked in the mirror this morning. There's nothing wrong with that. But yet if we look to beauty as this is my worth, 
And it hurts my heart sometimes to see, especially uh, this is, is very, very prevalent among teenagers, but it's not just teens. There are adults who have grown in age, but yet they seem to put their worth in their beauty or in their strength. Proverbs 31 verse 30 says, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. This isn't just for women. There are a lot of vain, vain men. And women, you can say amen. <laughs> Go ahead, amen. Yes. A lot of us, a lot of us men, we're, we're vain. And we, we may not, it may not be the beauty of our hair, but it may be something else. We may want to really think, man, I, I want to show my muscles or whatever it is. But Proverbs says, Listen, charms, deceitful, beauty is vain. You could put in there, you know, strength and power and, and brute strength or abilities. All of these things are deceitful and vain. In your notes, there's a little bit of a, I, I use Logos to kind of organize my sermons and print out outlines. So there's, a, there's one missing that didn't print out correctly, but the next one is power. Another pasture. Power. Look with me in an example in the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 4, verses 29 through 33. We see a very, very interesting occasion that happens in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. And it's a very vivid picture of how someone, how God, as as he controls really the, the paths of men and women, how so quickly... He can change our path and humble us. Notice what Nebuchadnezzar does in Daniel chapter 4. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, and just try to imagine King Nebuchadnezzar strutting his stuff, you know, in the palace of Babylon. He says this, Is not this great Babylon? which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. You shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. What a transformation like that. I thank God for his mercy that he often shows us. That in our moments of pride and arrogance, he doesn't do this often. But yet for Nebuchadnezzar, it was a very clear testimony. Listen, you think you did all this? I'm going to bring you so low until eventually you recognize that only the Most High. And in fact, Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 37 He declares this, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of Heaven. For all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. My heart was saddened recently as I was with someone who, who you know, knew in the past and, and haven't really kept up with their family a whole lot, but in the course of the conversation there was much talk about how 
um, the spouse had had a very successful career and was very, very intelligent and, and had just, you know, uh, risen the corporate ladder and all these things. But yet I knew behind the story that particular family has really left serving Christ and looking to him for strength years and years ago. And I thought, goodness, this individual became so powerful, so influential, so many things in, in the world's eyes that brought success, but yet has really missed the greatest point of life in serving Christ as Savior. Proverbs 21, verse 1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. This is an encouragement to me. When all things seem lost in our nation and around the world, it's an encouragement to me to think back on this principle to know every king, every political leader, every other leader is still, their heart, their, their path is still in the hand of a sovereign and all-powerful God that at a moment's notice, God can change the path of any man and any woman alive. doesn't matter how powerful they are. We see that power is another false pasture. What about athletic ability? Man, this is big in the United States of America. We value. I love sports. And you, you'll hear me use a lot of sports illustrations and, as I speak because I identify with that. And I enjoy the, these things. But unfortunately, the green pasture and the false pasture of Athletic ability has driven many to their demise. James 4, 14, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Not even a year ago, and it hasn't even been eight full months ago, we saw Damar Hamlin collapse on a football field as he was playing for the Cincinnati Bengals. And in a moment's notice, the crowd stopped, the, the newscasters stopped, the game was suspended because Damar Hamlin, at 20-something years old, 24-year-old safety, collapsed on the field. Later, it was discovered because he took a, a strong hit to the chest, it caused a rare type of cardiac arrest. And just recently, he's been cleared to go to training camp again. In the weeks to follow, nobody was even sure, would he ever play NFL again? Now, I remind you of that because just like Damar Hamlin, who was an NFL, young NFL, strong safety for the Cincinnati Bengals, any individual alive, no matter how much we put the only thing, and that's the main thing that we look for, for satisfaction, for our success, for enjoyment, for pure living, it's a false pasture. It's just another pasture that leads us down the wrong path. July 23rd, 2023, not even a month ago, Leon Marchand, a French swimmer, broke the last world record that was still held by Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps is a phenomenal swimmer. He held one, his, this last record he held for over 20 years, but it was broken. And to Michael Phelps' credit, he was actually there broadcasting, and he clapped, and he, he honored the swimmer who broke his own record. Good for him. But the fact remains that in all of Michael Phelps' success and everything that he did, his record was broken. It can easily become a false pasture. This is a huge one in our culture, especially today. What about personal expression? 
I'll find my happiness. I'll find really what life is all about if I can just personally express what I want to in my life. Personal expression. Look with me in Romans chapter 1, verses 24 through 32. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. The men likewise gave up natural relations with women, were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves a due penalty for their error. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, gave them up God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Then notice, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval, celebrate to those who practice them. And there, there are many, many ways that in our culture today, personal expression has been elevated as the God worth serving. As the green pasture that's going to give you true satisfaction. And everyone else needs to recognize who you think you are and what you think is important to you. Personal expression. It's devastating to read some of the reports of those in just one area of this. That list that I just read, remember? Uh, haughty, boastful, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit. So there's, there's many ways this can be manifested. One of those is in sexuality. As we've seen many who have decided, you know, I don't, I don't think I, I don't want to be a boy anymore. I want to be a girl. Or I don't want to be a girl anymore and I want to be a boy. To great... Sadness, there are some who are coming out and, and giving proclamations that after they transition, they have great regret. Chloe Cole, the New York Post, has made very clear that she decided she was a transgender at 12. She had a double mastectomy at 15 years old. And not long after, she recognized, I have made a huge, huge mistake. After all, I do want to be a girl. But in the article, she says, I lost organs over this. Double mastectomy. Another individual, Helena Kirshner, was given testosterone at 18. In less than two years, also encouraged and led to do a double mastectomy. And shortly after that, deeply regretted ever having made that transition. Pleasure is another green pasture, Proverbs 14 and verse 12. There's a way that seems right to a man, but, it is the, but its end is the way to death. Pleasure. I, I couldn't help but, uh, so last night on the way home, I, I was trying to, to get as close to home before stopping for supper, and I made it, I think it was south of Knoxville somewhere, there's a, there's a Bucky's. I've never been to that particular Bucky's. I've been to a couple other Bucky's, but I thought, okay, well, I can get gas, which I need gas, and I need, I need food also, so I can do both at the same time. And as I walked in Bucky's at 8.45 last night, it was like a part, it was a circus. I mean, the place was packed. 
And there were bucky noodles and bucky pillows and all of these things and all just the, the, the tons of assortments of food and snacks and beef jerky and cookies. And I got some of the stuff and I didn't get any beef or any uh, Bucky's noodles, but all of these things. And I couldn't help but think what a consumerism society that we have in the United States of America. Just literally hundreds and hundreds of people just in, in Bucky's and shopping. And eight, I mean, it was 845. It was, it was like it was, you know, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. No, no time was, was mattering. And all, everybody's circling around. Pleasure. What can bring me happiness? What's the next thing that'll make me smile? What's the next thing that'll give me a little bit of satisfaction? You know, there's been one who is much wiser or was much wiser than we are who's tried all of those things before. Solomon. Look with me in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I said in my heart, Solomon says, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I search with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. He goes on to give some examples of how he did this. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves, had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept, from my heart from no, I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was the reward for all my toil. Then notice, then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity, and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Yet the wisest man that, that, that lived, unfortunately, suppressed the wisdom that God even gave him and sought out, sought out after all of these vain and futile pursuits. But yet here we are in 2023 and we're doing, many of us are doing just the same. Man, I'm going to go this path and that path and what's going to bring me pleasure? What's the new thing? What's the, what's the biggest fad? How, how can I do that even, even more than the person before, but John 10, 10 summarizes it once again. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Think, think with me a little bit in reality how this plays out. The drug dealer who provides the drugs to someone, and I, unfortunately I've had people both close and in, my, and in our church congregations in the past who have, who have struggled with this, and some didn't even struggle. I mean, they just gave themselves fully to drug addiction, and it was, they, they thought that was the path. But I've never, seen, I've never seen a drug dealer, when someone died of an overdose, come to console the family and try to pick up the pieces. Never once. Because they don't care. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. 
the bartender isn't going to pick up the pieces after someone who gets drunk and they, they're, they're inebriated and they go and they hit someone and kill someone driving under the influence. They're not going to come and pick up the pieces. The bartender is not going to go to someone's house after someone who has, who has abused alcohol and they, they beat their wife, they, they lash out against their children. The bartender is not going to be there to pick up the pieces. The pimp doesn't care about the prostitute who's torn up emotionally and has sold her body thinking that maybe this is going to get her to the next step in life. The pimp doesn't care about her. Once she can't sell herself anymore, the transgender person can't sell himself or herself anymore, the pimp doesn't care. The money's been given. The money's been won. That's it. You're done. Get out. I don't want to see you again. The pornography producer doesn't care that becoming enslaved to pornography will affect so many areas of your life. The pornography producer could care less as long as they keep making money. They don't care about you. The company that is only driven by the bottom line that asks you and requests and even demands of you sacrifice your family, sacrifice your relationship with God, sacrifice your, your own health for the company. Do it for the company. This is how you write. They don't care that at some point they may come to you and go, you know what? The company's having a downturn. You're fired. Go home. Pack up your stuff today. They don't care. The teenage boy that says he loves you and then gets you pregnant will often reveal that he really meant to say, I lust you. I lust you. So many times he won't care when you get pregnant and you have a baby at 15, 16, 17. Your dreams, many of your dreams have dashed, not because the baby himself or herself is a mistake. A human being is never a mistake. Understand that. But how that individual was conceived, the, the teenage boy often will say, well, I I lusted you, but really didn't love you. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. In contrast, we see the pastors of the good shepherd. The target audience in John chapter 10 and verse 9, it says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Thank God that Jesus makes this an open invitation. If anyone enters by me, I'm the door. And throughout John chapter 10, there's so many contrasts. And again and again, he's reminding us, that's not the door. This is not the door. I'm the door. Follow me. Come after me. I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for you. This is the pasture. I lead you in and out. He says, I'm the door. The target audience is anyone that enters by me, he will be saved. What's the type of life offered? He says, I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. We see, first of all, protection in John chapter 10, 9. I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. The Greek word has the idea here, here of, of being kept safe, healed, rescued from destruction. And the great I am, the door, the good shepherd does, does all of these things for his sheep. He protects his sheep. He heals them from terminal, the terminal and, and eternal disease of sin. On our own, we have no, no way at all to, to resolve that, but yet the good shepherd can. We're rescued from destruction. Matthew 7, 13 through 15 says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Now notice again, even in Matthew, this the symbolism here of sheep in a fold. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. 
Very rarely will we find a pasture that's a false pasture, a false shepherd that'll come to us and say, you know what? I'm really seeking to destroy your life. I'm hoping that by the time that I'm done with you, there will be nothing left of you to give. I want to see your destruction. Rarely does that happen. It's often presented as, this is true freedom. Serve Christ? Have to follow rules? Abide by something that's, that's old and is just maybe fairy tales? What's that all about? Try it, find fruit, true freedom. Express yourself. This is the way that you find true satisfaction. Christ says, no, I'm the good shepherd. Follow me. We see also, besides protection, we see provision. John chapter 10 Verses 2 and 3. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. In my rush out the door this morning, I forgot a little bell that, that dad gave me this week. A missionary from the Basque region of Spain had given him this bell and explained to him that in that region, they would put a unique bell on every sheep of the fold. And so that by that unique bell and the sound, the shepherd would recognize what sheep maybe had gone astray from the rest of the flock. Isn't it cool that Jesus knows us by name? And just like the blind man who was healed was cast out of the synagogue, he went and found the blind man and led him to a saving knowledge of who he was as the great I am, the I am, the light of the world. To him, the gatekeeper opens. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. John 10, 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Notice what happens in John 8, 31 through 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So as he leads us in, so protection within the fold, but think about this, if, if sheep stay in the fold, what will eventually happen to sheep that stay in the fold forever? They're gonna die. They need pasture. They need nutrition. And sometimes we think as Christians, God, you know, he saves us and he just, he just brings us in to protect us. We're going to gather with our church family. We're just going to kind of huddle here and this, this is it. That is not all that Christ saves us for. He doesn't just save us from the dangers of the world, but he saves us to the things that he's called us to do, to serve him, to, to, do, to be his workmanship, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. But he sends us out into the world, in fact. So we're going to see here in a minute, Psalm 23 says that we are in the presence of our enemies, and we are sent into the presence of our enemies. But we'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What does this freedom look like? Psalm 23 gives a, a quick visual. Psalm 23 and verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want provision. As he protects us, he also wants to lead us out and, and help us to find pasture to provide for us. As we go through these verses, uh, just look quickly. We're not going to take the time to really uh, do an exegesis of this passage, but look at some of the highlights. Notice in verse 2, Instead of exhaustion, your good shepherd offers rest. Psalm 23 and verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. 
Instead of robbing you, your good shepherd refreshes you. Psalm 23, verse 2 in the latter part. He leads me beside still waters. It's interesting because sheep are fearful of running water. So Psalm 23 says he leads them by still water. Instead of inner turmoil and confusion, your good shepherd offers you inner peace. Psalm 23 and verse 3. He restores my soul. He restores my soul. Man, there is so much inner turmoil that happens among the lives of men and women in our culture today. Often we mask it to a certain extent, and then there, there's, there's breakdowns and troubles and all these things, and we re, we're reminded, he restores my soul. Instead of uncertainty, your good shepherd offers you guidance, Psalm 23 and verse 3. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Instead of abandonment, your good shepherd offers you his presence, Psalm 23, 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Next, we see that instead of being vulnerable, your good shepherd gives you protection, Psalm 23 and verse 5. You prepare a table before me where? In the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And John, we're reminded that we are sent into the world. Christ reminded his disciples, don't be surprised. If they reject you, it's because they rejected me. So we will be in the presence of our enemies much of our life. But yet, even in that spot, our good shepherd prepares a table for us. And we can feast in his certainty. We can feast and rest in his presence. Instead of getting what you deserve, your good shepherd gives you undeserved blessings. Psalm 23 and verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Now, it doesn't say surely Lots of money shall follow me all the days of my life. But goodness and mercy. Instead of just earthly and temporary aspirations, your good shepherd gives you eternal assurance. Notice the last part of Psalm 23, verse 6. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So in John, back in John chapter 10 and verse 10, we see the contrast very clear once again. It says in verse 10 of John 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So what happens to this offer? You've got the false shepherds, the, the apparently green pastures that lead to destruction, and then you have the, the true green pasture of the good shepherd. So what happens to the response? There's three ways that oftentimes we as humans respond. First of all is rejection. We see this in John 10, 19, and 20. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is, in, and is insane. Why listen to him? I just read a few days ago on Fox News that a Christian musician uh, was about to do a, a, a concert near the state capitol. I can't remember what state it was in, but in the paper uh, of that city, they warned of, of this dangerous group who would be performing. Did you know, follower of Christ, that you're dangerous, <laughs> according to many in the world? It's a rejection. He has a demon. It's insane. Why listen to him? But some won't go that far. They'll, they'll, they'll recognize even that Christ was good or is a good example. Notice John chapter 10 and verse 21. 
Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So there's, there's at least recognition here that Jesus is, I mean, he's powerful. There, there's something different about Jesus. But the true response should be what we see in John chapter 10 and verse 4, and that's submission. John 10, 4, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Submission. A following the good shepherd. Pray that as we have looked through this passage and even seen how Jesus is the great I am, the eternal present God. Jesus is I am the light of the world. Jesus is I am the bread of life. No other bread's going to satisfy you. And he says, I am the bread of life. And then lastly, last week we saw I am the door. And then the last two weeks, I am the good shepherd. What pasture will you seek after? Would you close your eyes as we finish in prayer this morning?